So this evening, the, the observance night, the phase of the moon, the new moon, the, this, this reflection on change, on time, and as you, I notice now, every day I think another day completed and nearer to death. And that might sound rather morbid to some of you because uh, death is considered a, a rather morbid uh, perception. But it's also true in its way. And one more day passes, one more day closer to, uh, to the death day. Because the death is what we all uh, know we have to experience. And of course in the future, it, that's, that what it, that's what it is, it's in the future. We think, the future, I'm going to die. And so this sense of uh, <clears throat> I am going to die and starting from that point, because right now, sitting here in this uh, temple, at this moment, there's this physical body that we strongly identify with, there's I, uh, me and mine, uh, there's breathing and feeling, conscious. And then in the future, we, because we've so convinced of time is our reality that we know that another day has passed uh, and that I will die sometime in the future and whenever that might be. So the Buddha was pointing to always the Pachubana reality, the present moment of awareness that within the containment the, the, of the human form that we have, we at least can realize or recognize the timeless reality, timelessness, akalika dhamma. <clears throat> because the, the time-bound conditions are what most people consider their reality. That I was born uh, and I'm this age, this body, and that in the future I will die. And of course the whole society, everywhere you go, whether it's in Europe or Asia or wherever, this is the general conventional attitude uh, and the real world for uh, human beings. And then the Buddha comes along with his <coughs> pointing to 
the timeless, to timelessness, selfless, the unborn, unconditioned, uncreated, unformed, Nibbana, Anatta. <clears throat> and that's why I encourage you all to just uh, to begin to or really examine, investigate this sense of I am this person, this body that will die in the future. Because that is oftentimes the, the way we live our lives. I am this person that was born, of this nationality, this gender, this age, all these habits, these astrological uh, signs. We, we were so fascinated with ourselves and with what sign we were born under and what the future will be. We go to fortune tellers, so forth, to try to find out what our future will be. Hopefully it'll be all about good health, happiness, success, prosperity. And even some people are so ignorant, they hope for immortality, physical, some kind of physical immortality. But in terms of Dhamma, that's not the way it is. At this moment, this body is, it's like this at this moment, it's feeling, it's, uh, it's, it was born, and it's now this age, then it will die. But my relationship to the body then is instead of identity, habitual, <coughs> unquestioned identity and attachment to it, is seeing it in terms of the reality of now. So this, this uh, mindfulness is the gate to the deathless, the door or the entrance to timelessness. Now when you talk about the timeless or the deathless, then that is, that has no, we can't, we can't imagine it. <coughs> Try to imagine timelessness, you know, or the deathless, or Nibbana. The, what we do with the word Nibbana is usually, uh, I think it's some kind of more ecstatic, more wonderful kind of happiness than the ordinary happiness. So we, we tend to put Nibbana in some kind of uh, superlative position, as some kind of attainment or achievement. It's the, it's the highest happiness. Or is it not that at all? It's not about being happy. But it's uh, being free from delusion, and that can, of course, only the, that's the reality of now. Reality is now. It's not about something in the future. It's not about the past. And the only way we can recognize that is a recognition or realizing is this gate to the deathless, the mindfulness. So then in Buddha Dhamma, the Buddha's pointing to the, the subject-object relationship. 
because uh, each one of us is experiencing consciousness from this sub seemingly subjective position, the human form that we uh, can, that we identify with or that we're experiencing in the present moment. So we, we're experiencing consciousness in a form. So contemplate that, that, that consciousness has no form, but we're experiencing consciousness within the limitations of a form the human body, for example. And then the, when we're born, then we tend to get conditioned into creating, identifying with uh, our, our bodies, our, what our mother says, father, religion, cultural identities, class identities, racial, and all that. We become boys and girls, we become English or or Welsh or American, we become, uh, you know, lovable or unlovable according to the condition, conditioning that we acquire after we're born. But Buddha's pointing before birth, before you were born, before the body was born, consciousness. and no boundary. Then when we're born, then we're experiencing consciousness from this point here. So this is, this is just a reflection of the value and the, the, the importance of mindfulness. Sati Sampachanya, Sati Panya. Why this is the essence, uh, the, the whole point of the Buddhist teaching is to recognize to awaken to this universal consciousness that's not personal, not <clears throat> no longer do we see it in terms of, of me and mine, of language, of identity with the body. So it's this when we when we're mindful, at that moment, at that in this present moment through non-attachment, then there we recognize the real. We awaken to reality. And so this is, this is the liberation from delusion. Now talking like this, of course, it sounds all very simple, and it is so simple that, that we, uh, we can't, understand it because the thinking mind is a complicated, is a complication. Thinking is dualistic function. So you know, this is where you can't think yourself into Nibbana or into enlightenment. Now you can create del delusions about yourself as being enlightened or unenlightened or realizing Nibbana or not realizing Nibbana. So we we create maybe illusions of being unenlightened or being enlightened. But then getting to behind the words themselves, these are words, enlightenment or not enlightened, awakened or not in awakened, being an arahant, a perfectly enlightened one or a 
Patuchana, a totally ignorant human being. This is language. And then the, the, the uh, Sakayaditi or the ego, the sense of a separate self, clings to these conceptions. So, note this is, this uh, sense of a self is a, is a delusion. The self, is in terms of Sakaya Ditti, Atta in Pali, um, call it ego, Sakaya Ditti, personality, view. What they see is, is, is this identity out of ignorance, out of conditioning. It's conventional. There's nothing, I'm not saying we shouldn't have an ego. But when we operate only from the ego, then we, we're bound to that limitation. Once you're bound to, to a limitation, that's the time conditions, or that's about birth and death. So then we, we have fear because from the ego level we're going to die. I'm going to die. On a conventional level, you know, that's the truth. They say, I'm going to die someday. People ask me, what do, what do you want us to do when you die? Be cremated or buried? Put in a mausoleum? Mummified? I keep saying, if I die here in England, I like to be put out in the field and I want you to get vultures from India and scatter my bones and my flesh out in that field and let the vultures eat me. I just love to see the reactions of the local people. Because <laughs> I'll be dead at the time. <laughs> you can imagine the horror of the English mindset, you know, disgusting, perverted uh, custom of Buddhism. <clears throat> because uh, corpses, human corpses, rotting flesh, beaten, eat, eaten by vultures, or even some people find being consumed by worms is disgusting. They, we don't like to see ourselves as me, Ajahn Sumato, uh, with worms crawling through my body and kind of putrefaction taking place and, and uh, all this kind of ugly, stinking mass of flesh on the ego level. That is not uh, how I want to be, how I want to relate to the world. The, the ego is based on trying to be attractive or charming or acceptable or you know, not be a nuisance, or be disgusting, or smell bad, or, or be foul in any way. So the ego is always, uh, you know, under threat, and, uh, and there's a lot to fear from the ego position. How many of you struggle a lot with fear, worrying what others think of you? of, uh, you know, worrying about the future. Uh, fear of, of growing old and nobody, and being rejected or thrown out or lost. <clears throat> fear of death, because if, you're, if you've never investigated Dhamma, if you've never awakened and, 
and look into reality at all then then the future is the unknown, death is the unknown, what happens to you when you die? Will I go, where do Buddhists go when they die? And then, you know, people come, they, well, well, I've done a lot of merit making, given a lot of dana, maybe I, I hope that that will, I'll get the payoff when I now get born into a, into a nicer realm, maybe a deva realm or some, pleasant place. So this is still the ego, isn't it? The sakya ditti. If I'm this body, <coughs> when I die, if I'm in Thailand, for example, in Buddhist countries, it's very much the attitude of doing a lot of merit-making in order to accumulate good uh, virtues for the next life. Now the Buddha is actually teaching liberation here and now. He wasn't, even though the reincarnation, rebirth, and all these are very much, these concepts are much associated with, with Buddhism as such, part of the cultural and conventional way of thinking. <clears throat> is it real? Is that is, is reincarnation or rebirth? What is that? And so we bring it into the present moment for investigation. And this is where I recommend uh, contemplating the Paticca Samuppada, the dependent origination. Because that I found very helpful uh, conventional teaching in Theravada Buddhism for beginning to un understand just what rebirth is as we're experiencing it here and now. Not from the ego level of, of uh, you know, I'm being reborn each moment. It's not, it's not trying to, to just take another kind of so-called Buddhist attitude. But it's recognizing that this becoming is, is going on all the time. Becoming reborn. That, that the ego changes according to conditions. You know, what, how you you know, feel, how you see yourself, it changes according to whether it's sunny or rainy, hot or cold, whether you're feeling healthy or sick, whether people are treating you well or they're treating you badly. And then it's all whether it's you're tired or you're rested, how old you are, and the kind of uh, respect you get from others, or disrespect. The, your personality changes. Changes according to who you're with. <clears throat> with your parents, or with your, with your teachers, with your children, with your juniors, or seniors, or equals. With your best friends, or with having to be with people you don't like and don't respect. Your personality changes, adapts itself accordingly. Uh, to these various conditions that are beyond our control. But that awareness of the personality, that's, that is not, that's the constant reality of now that we begin to recognize. And that's, the, that's what uh, the whole emphasis of Buddhist teaching is to 
awaken and recognize the Dhamma. No reality, awaken to the real. Now we say, what is the real? And then, of course, you want a description. <clears throat> it's like, <laughs> I remember when, you know, in psychology and that, you, you, have, you have this word consciousness. And what is consciousness? <clears throat> and I remember in, in uh, early years of Buddhist meditation, wanting to find out what exactly, you know, the proper English definition of vijnana or jitta, uh, you know, wanting to find a definition in a dictionary or in, in, a, in modern psychology. What is consciousness? I remember one time wanting to go to the library and look up in the Pali dictionary, vijnana, in order to get the definition, the Pali definition of consciousness. And suddenly it dawned on me that what, what am I doing? This is consciousness now. I don't, you know, I don't have to go try to find out what somebody says about it. You just recognize it. So awareness here and now, awareness is the awakened recognition of consciousness. And then we're experiencing consciousness from this point, from this uh, human form, the limitation of this form. So I, I'm not like God where I have I'm consciousness from the, the ultimate position of knowing everything about everything and seeing everything all at one moment in some kind of universal uh, position. But it's a humbling position. Being a human being is, is very humbling because it's a lowly position. And then just this body sitting here. This ordinary kind of human form. <coughs> Consciousness. So awaken, say the gate to the deathless is open. Awareness here and now. And so it's as simple as that, suddenly this awakened recognition. It's conscious, it's not. You don't go unconscious or in a trance. It's energetic, it's real. And then I can create myself. You know, I'm Ajahn Sumedha and I'm... <laughs> This kind of thing. Then, that is uh, then uh, the the creations, the forms, the conditions, the images come out from that. So the the liberation from the ego is not like not having an ego anymore. It's not an attack so that you on the ego or a sense of self or a conventional reality, but having the perspective on it to see the the ego or sakyaditi for what it is and no longer be limited, blinded, enslaved to these conditions that are the, this, this blind attachment to the conditioned realm is suffering. First noble truth, dukkha.
Now this kind of practice takes a constant reminder because the ego is very tricky. When you're a monk or a nun, it's, you know, the ego, no matter how virtuous and dedicated and spiritual you might see yourself to be, and how, you know, how sincere, all these, these, these uh, virtuous conditions, sincerity and views and uh, no matter good views, right views, supreme views, if we haven't awakened to the condition, then we're still limited even by the ideals we hold or the views that no matter how grand or magnanimous those views are, or how mean or selfish, we're still, the conditioned realm is impermanent and therefore it's subject to this incessant change. It's unstable and will always lead to some kind of dissatisfaction, unhappiness, discontentment, misery, despair. So the, this uh, awakened so that's, you know, I teach this Bhutto mantra all the time because I found that just a very skillful means to remind myself that knowing it, Bhutto then is a, is a Buddha's name but I'm not looking for Buddha as some kind of some creation or some perception I have of Buddha. It's just a reminder of awake up here and now. Be this Bhutto, be this refuge in Buddha. Not me, Ajahn Sumedho, trying to become Buddha. That's another delusion. That, see, that's quite complicated, isn't it? Me, I've, I'm trying to become a Buddha as a person or Bhutto as a, a skillful means, an upaya, a conventional form, a word, not to grasp out of ignorance, but to awaken with. It means awakened consciousness. And it's as simple as this, this is awareness here and now. Now, over the years, having been a monk for so many years, this has dedicated my whole life to this, uh, to this practice. It's not, it's not a complicated uh, practice. But it does take the determination because it's so easy to forget it. The world impinges on us, and it's so worldly conditions are very powerful. <clears throat> you know what you know one's own emotional habits, tendencies, views and opinions, uh, pressures from the society, the ideals, the fears, uh, all this you know we've got to live with it impinges on us it it attacks us at various times. You live in a society that's very, you know, quite aggressive. 
very intimidating. You're living modern life here and we always feel so intimidated by it. You know, that it's how things should be and, and the kind of way the critical mind can, can be so clever and, uh, you know, really see how, th how wrong things are or how bad something is or corrupt or mean either oneself or somebody else or uh, governments, countries, whatever. So that, that this, this mind is, you know, it's very, it brings up strong sense of righteous indignation, anger, rage, resentment, blaming, re seeking revenge for the wrongs wanting to punish the wicked, thinking the good should always be rewarded. Why do, why do wicked people get titles in this country? Why do all these bankers that have, that have deluded the population become sir this? And <laughs> it's not fair, is it? No, the good people of this country, you know, the people that are pure-hearted, moral, and trustworthy should get these, these accolades, these titles. Even in Buddhism, you know, you get, you get uh, Buddhism, you get titles. And some of these monks that get titles are rascals. <laughs> That's how, we, how you play the game, your political uh, abilities to, to, you know, influence and promote yourself within a, within a conventional form. You think like being a Tanjau Kun or Dalai Lama or something like this is, is, a, is an attainment, is somehow an achievement. Being a Supreme Patriarch, Sangharaja, a Mahanayaka, all these are kind of uh, superlative terms for attainment within Buddhist monasticism. And they usually, they usually mean very, very wonderful things. You can have a name like uh, the pure, wise seer of the truth. <laughs> you know, in, in, in Pali or Sanskrit. And then, you know, be totally obsessed with, you You know, seeing how much money you can get and how much, you know, power you can get in the society. Or like, like our own Pali names, the monastic Sangha. You know, and you, most of us when we ordain, you know, we get a, a very kind of beautiful name like Sumato my name. And uh, when I found out the meaning of it, one who has good wisdom, I thought, that's, uh, I didn't see myself in, as have, you know, being that kind of a person. I remember when, when I ordained Ajahn Upeka, equanimity. I remember she thought, <laughs> She's the last person to, to feel that she has this, this 
property of upeka or equanimity. <laughs> and I said, it's not, it's not about trying to describe your personality, is it? It's a, it, you give these names not for attachment or identity, they're not for developing the ego, but for reminding. It's like puto, upeka, or sumeto, or this is like, it's reminding to be used for, you know, for remind, like uh, Samanera Akaliko ordained him and gave him the name Akaliko. Timeless. Now, whoever thinks of oneself as timeless, you know, on the ego level, it makes no sense, does it? I'm the timeless one, it sounds silly. But Akalika Dhamma, isn't that Akalika, we chant it, But it's also a reminder of here and now, the timeless reality of now, not as some kind of per, uh, description of one's personal abilities or whatever. It's not to be intimi uh, something intimidating us. And if we feel unworthy of our beautiful names, it's, that's still the ego, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not really good wisdom. Uh, I'm still have, you know, a lot of ignorance and stupidity. That is the ego operating. Or the ego can take the opposite. I'm really very wise and my wisdom is better than yours. Then I can become, you know, sumato from the ego level. That's a misuse of it, but it's uh, using these, these words not for identity or position, but for reminder like Bhutto. So Bhutto is, is not some kind of ego identity or an intimidating uh, thing to make you feel guilty because you're, you're heedless most of the time. It's not to go around saying you should be aware and awake and look at you, you've, you've just, uh, you know, you've made these terrible mistakes and done these heedless actions. And, uh, you know, here you just took refuge in the Buddha and you said that and you did this. And that's intimidating, isn't it? Way of kind of intimidating you. Or, a skillful use of Bhutang Sarnangachami is not attachment but reflection. Remembering, reminding. Sati Sampachanya, these words, Sati, uh, to remember the present moment, wake up here and now, because the, the world that, that we tend to be conditioned with is deluding us. So walking into this temple, you know, seeing the temple as a place to remind yourself, awake and here and now, not to come in and feel, as, you know, if you get come in here with a, some kind of uh, feeling of, of uh, some problems and worries and views and fears and that, and sit down and, and try to meditate and then you, you're getting caught up in your own uh, fears and desires and emotional habits, 
But then when you look at the Buddha Rupa, what do you do? That's Bhutto, isn't it? This is like saying, saying Bhutto, you know. It's blessing you, saying, wake up, you know. It's not saying, you better wake up or I'm going to punish you. But it's a reminder. It's an invitation. It's encouragement. It's loving kindness. It's compassion. So that's why, you know, this, see this space here. It's, you know, it's up to you how you want to use this temple. But for me, this is how, how I've developed. So the coming into this temple is always, you know, we, we don't eat here or it's not a place for all kinds of worldly activities. So its main purpose is this, this uh, simple reminder, Bhutto, Tammo Sanko, awaken to the real, to reality. And then Sanko then is no longer, uh, you know, some kind of identity with being a monk or a nun or a this, but it's, it's a one who practices supatipano, ujupatipano, these kind of words, one who, that human being here and now practicing in the right way, awaken here and now, is supatipano. It's not about how good my practice is or how mindful I am or how I've developed good samadhi or my achievements in monastic life or my failures in it. It's not about me being a sotapanna or a, an arhan or anything like that. It's about supatipanno, sankho, puto tamo sankho. Ujupatipano, direct, here and now. It's not about practicing now for the future. It's not about getting your samadhi and attaining the first jhana in order to do vipassana or anything like that. It's not about, uh, you know, getting something you don't have or getting rid of your defilements. It's about trusting in puto awareness because it's Buddha that knows Dhamma. It's the awakened consciousness that, that knows reality, knows the Dhamma. And then within the limitation of the human birth, human form, Sankho isn't about personality or an individual uh, as a person. It's about Awaken a human being awakened now, practicing or cultivating this awakeness. Now, cultivating then is <coughs> the word is pawana. Uh, in Thai, they use this word for meditation, pawana. But it's also the insight into the fourth noble truth. 
cultivating, developing awareness, samaditi sangha samasangapo. So pavana begins with sotapanna, seeing the path, here and awakened here and now, the path is here and now. Stream entry, it's called. So it's not about becoming a stream enterer or a sotapanna, it's about being one. Trusting yourself to be there, to recognize the awakened consciousness now is this. It's not what you think or what you want or what you imagine or assume or what somebody else tells you. It's here and now. Now what does that do to your mind at this moment? You know, it throws the, the ego, I mean the ego doesn't quite know how to relate to it. Because we do have so many opinions about practice, about how you've got to get this in order to get that, get rid of these, get rid of desire, and, and so that Buddhism, Buddhist meditation can sound very complicated and um, difficult. But it is ultimate simplicity, it's unicity, it's oneness, it's reality. That, that we are, as human individuals, capable of recognizing the real. This is the, the blessing of the human birth. Sometimes it seems, I remember, I used to think of being born as a human being as a kind of curse. Before I started meditating, well, I thought, my, I was brought up as a Christian. And so I, was, I had all these ideals about love and, and, and God loves me and, and all that. And then the, as I, you know, grew older and I could see how how unlovable I was, how easily offended I could be, how sensitive I was, how um, delicate my feelings are, and, and fear, fear of being hurt, and things like that. And even though my life hasn't been one of being abused and, and that in, in any you know, in any uh, big way. But it's just the, the ego structure, the, the, the ignorance and the identity with the body and the emotional habits and tendencies and, and ideals, feeling cursed by being in this sensitive form. Having to live in this sensitive form for a lifetime seemed to be like a curse. Now then, <clears throat> in uh, Thailand, for example, the Lung Po Cha and, and the Thai teachers were always saying it's one of the great, uh, human births is a great blessing. So I had to get out of my cynical mode and consider, is this just Thai culture? 
is it just me <laughs> being kind of naive or optimistic or whatever, whatever way a Western critical mind wants to see it? Or is, what, is they, what do they mean when Lungpa Cha said it's the great blessing to be, have a human birth? Because it can be a curse, as many, most of you know. And then uh, it's this simplicity of this awakened reality, awakened here and now, puto tamo sankho. This is, this is a, what the Buddha was pointing at. The gate to the deathless is open. The teaching he gave, the Four Noble Truths and all that, that that's a very skillful way of investigating to break through, to see through the uh, conditioning that you've acquired in your life so far. So you begin to see, see your conditioning, your ego, your, your cultural conditioning, your thinking, uh, your conditioned thinking process. You, you have a way of beginning to look at it not through the critical mind or th- and, and analyzing it as good, bad, right or wrong, but seeing it in terms of what it is, its condition arising, ceasing. So this pure subjectivity, pure consciousness, aware of the conditions, the bodies like this, the emotions, happiness, unhappiness, ecstasy, depression, whatever is like this, that which is aware, as you begin to remind yourself, satting sambhajanya, puto, and then you can see the changingness of how whatever you think you are, conceive yourself, or assume in your emotional feelings of the moment, or views, opinions, uh, no matter how high, or how high or low they might be, awareness of them in terms of what they really are at this moment. Because whatever you're thinking or feeling at this time, it is a sankara, isn't it? It's a condition dependent on other conditions. Whatever thoughts, views, perceptions you have about yourself or the world around you, it's not say it's not a judgment of being wrong or that you shouldn't have them, but it is a condition. You're awakening to the real. Conditioned phenomena is impermanent and not self. Whether you know whether what it is, whether it's refined or coarse or right or wrong, good or bad, angelic or demonic in all gradations between those two extremes, conditioned phenomena is impermanent. The pace and the So over the years of monastic life, this has been my, you know, to keep reminding myself because it's so easy to forget it. Living here in England for over 30 years, you know, you're involved in... Uh, in so many intimidating situations. 
you know, or being having to to be a Buddhist monk in a non-Buddhist country, and having to, you know, be upachaya and and establish monasteries and ordain monks and nuns and and relate to the society. In that it could be an ego trip, it could be just done because of maybe an I, a mag, uh, kind of idealism of wanting to bring the Dhamma to Europe and and uh, save the Europeans from their ignorance. Or the only thing that, the reason why I've survived this long is because of this practice, the bhavana. So that the, the emphasis is on the bhavana, on cultivating awareness, not on achieving, being a successful uh, Buddhist monk, bringing the Dhamma to, to Europe, ordaining a lot of monks and nuns and people and converting everybody to Theravada Buddhism. There's never been my, you know, uh, those kind of intimidating perceptions have certainly impressed, been impressed on my consciousness. But then seeing even that, even though that's, a lot of that's very good, you know, very altruistic, wanting to, to help others and free others from their ignorance and suffering is very compassionate and very altruistic. But it's not pawana till it, you see that even the highest altruistic concepts are conditioned. And that's not diminishing them, it's putting them in that perspective of non-attachment. So then the relationship to the society is from metta, from loving-kindness and karuna, compassion, mudita, joy, upeka. These, these come through mindfulness, not through me trying to be, develop the Brahma-miharas. You know, me, Ajahn Sumedho, trying to be very compassionate and equanimous. It's not about me becoming, uh, having a lot of metta or compassion, because that's, that can be another, that can be still operating from Sakya Ditti, Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikeja. So it's, but it's not about me having the idea I don't need to practice metta either. It's not about taking sides or having views about it. It's in trusting in this awareness, getting to be so familiar, so attuned to awakened consciousness, so committed to it that it, you find no, you know, there's no other possibility. It, has, it gives you a stability and unshakability that you can never have through trying to, you know, operate only from ideals or good intentions. So this is where the, you know, for you to, to contemplate and, and it's really, this is an invitation encouragement to trust 
to awaken, recognize, trust in this simple attentiveness in the present. And be patient with your, with your ego and bodies and emotional habits rather than trying to control them and suppress them or judge them or believe them or because as soon as you start judging yourself you know you're back into the ego again you know some of our the worst critics are oneself <clears throat> when I look at my life the, the worst critic of me has been me not any of you <clears throat> or anyone else that I remember in my life the worst critic of me has been me So that is, you know, and, I, and, and being critical of oneself seems, seems the, in some ways on a worldly level to be the right thing. You know, none of us like uh, people who think of themselves as there's nothing wrong with me, I'm so wonderful and <clears throat> I'm God's gift to the world. I have no faults. I'm so compassionate and loving and good. And, and, you know, if I talk like that, what would you say? <laughs> Another ten tendency is to think, you know, to see myself, my tendency is on a conditioned level of ego is to always see what's wrong, to see the bit that isn't very nice, to, to be very embarrassed or, or uh, you know, uncomfortable or... Uh, by the things that aren't very nice about me, that I don't like about my personality or my body or my emotional tendencies. You know, that, that's a stronger one than saying I'm, I'm extremely beautiful, wonderful gift to society. I don't have any of that. I'm not tend towards that kind of megalomania. <clears throat> but the other is even more insidious, isn't it? Because it's so, it's a relentless kind of criticism, a habitual criticism towards, uh, you know, always focusing on the bit you don't like, on the, the, the little bits that aren't very nice about your, yourself or your personality. But awakened awareness has no personal quality. Not about being right or wrong, good or bad, beautiful or ugly, great or small. It's, it's like tuning in to universal, to the universal reality, universal consciousness. It's a true nature, the true nature of things. It's not is not something I can claim as some kind of personal achievement for having been a monk for so many years and having practiced meditation for so many years. It's not nothing to do with that. The recognition, simple recognition, and the cultivation of that. Once it's recognized, noticed, and appreciated, then you cultivate that. That's the Fourth Noble Truth, the Eightfold Path. You cultivate awareness. 
which means like reminding yourself because you forget so you get caught up intimidating worldly conditions praise and blame and responsibilities duties and and all this kind of thing uh, arise in our lives our vipaka kama ripens and we <coughs> get all kinds of emotional th habits that appear and disappear in the in the consciousness so cultivating is is this patient kind reminding oneself trusting in just this simple reality of awakened attention in the present <clears throat> and no matter how many times you fail at it or fall apart it doesn't matter it's not about being successful at being mindful because then it becomes the ego again it's just recognizing awakening so even if you get caught up in all kinds of, of uh, worldly habits and so forth once you've recognized this once you this this is really then you you know even if you go on for years in a state of delusion there'll be point where you suddenly awaken remember it. mindfulness here and now <coughs> then instead of berating yourself for having been deluded this is something to to rejoice in this is this is the the joy the blessing of being a human being awaken here and now rather than somebody who had an insight years ago and forgot it and did a lot of stupid things and then suddenly you remember and then you feel you get caught up in guilt and remorse and self-disparagement <coughs> don't do that just this the simplicity of appreciation for this one maybe flashing second of attention so it's humbling because it's not like like I'm really you know highly attained person with wonderful samadhi and marvelous gifts of of uh, you know psychic powers and can do all kinds of read your minds and know everything about everything it's very humbling because it doesn't seem like it's worth anything it's not you know you can't boast about it it doesn't sound like it's worth anything to, to the world so I offer this for your reflection this evening